Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Finance with Fernando. I'm your host, Fernando DeCunha, aka the Mortgage Maverick. Please follow me on Facebook at Fernando John DeCunha or via Instagram at Mortgage Maverick. Today is episode number 11 uh, in regards to closing costs and fees associated with buying real estate. We just got done with a three-part mini-series, which was episodes 8, 9, and 10. Hopefully you enjoyed them. Um, we're going kind of back to the, the agenda of educational aspects of buying homes and um, what to expect. Uh, I will not be touching base on if you're selling a home, what to expect, because if you're selling a home, you're most likely not going to find out fees from a mortgage person, but you should get pre-qualified by a mortgage person for the next home. So I digress in saying that. But um, today we're going to discuss something that I like to uh, denote cash to close. So cash to close is basically the top-down look at everything that's out of pocket when you're buying real estate. So a lot of lenders, when they speak with a client, they'll say, well, your closing costs are this. Um, I, I use the term closing costs in relation to the fees that you'll pay for services rendered when buying real estate, okay? And the reason why I like to do that is because those closing costs might be something that you only pay once, right? You just, you pay it to buy the, the piece of property, you know, you pay it to buy the, the house. Um, when I say cash to close, it includes your closing costs, but it also includes something called escrow. Now, I just want to mention escrow is spelled E-S-C-R-O-W, and I'm sorry for laughing, but I've heard clients call it es escarole, which is uh, spinach, uh, a form of spinach. Um, I love when people do it because it kind of sounds like escarole, and I love escarole anyway, but um, it's, it's not escarole, it is escrow, and escrow is es essentially the, uh, an account that is held by the lender um, that you've done your mortgage with to pay for your taxes and insurance on the home. Um, and what I mean by insurance is like your homeowner's insurance. And if you live in an area that is in a floodplain, you'll have flood insurance as well included in that escrow. Um, so if you look up the definition for escrow, it's basically just a third party holding something for another. That's what it is. That's what escrow is. It's not just in relation to real estate taxes and insurance. Um, you know, uh, when you obtain a loan, it, it's, there's an actual definition for that, that word. Um, so We'll go over cash to close. We're going to hop into the closing cost aspect of it first. Um, so when you're comparing lenders, I think it's extremely important that you look at a few factors that the lender controls, which would be their underwriting and processing fee and their appraisal fee. Um, the reason why I say the underwriting, processing, and appraisal is because in most states, and uh, as you guys may have learned, I do a lot of business in New York. That's where I'm located. That's where I grew up. Um, but I am licensed in 48 states, so I have done loans in about half. I'm blessed in that regard to do, you know, uh, loans in about half of the U.S. Um, New York and California by far have the highest closing costs, the highest fees to buy real estate, even to sell real estate. But we won't go there. Um, but when you're buying and you're comparing lenders, you want to look at what the lender can control. Um, so as I mentioned, the underwriting and processing fee, the appraisal fee, and your credit report as well. Now the credit report is somewhat of an afterthought because typically a credit report's like, you know, $15 or what have you per person. Um, you know, so that's really not a major, uh, you know, it doesn't break the bank in that regard, but your appraisal varies depending on the type of property you buy. 
you know, typically they will range between four and five hundred dollars. If you're buying a luxury home or a property in a rural area, uh, rural area, meaning like you know, um, a location where it's hard for the appraiser to get to, the appraisal fee will typically be higher. So just be aware of that. Some luxury homes over a million dollars purchase price will typically require two appraisals to make sure that the appraisal is accurate and factual. Um, because it is uh, considered a luxury home. So be aware of that. Now, as far as the underwriting and processing um, for a specific lender, they they could vary. And what I mean is is that if you're buying a property, let's say in Westchester County, New York, the uh, underwriting and processing fee may be different than if you're buying a property in Pennsylvania, okay? Um, Strictly because the cost of living is different. The homes are, you know, um, different you know, locations, etc. So just be aware that lenders will actually adjust their underwriting and processing fee to mimic the mimic the market where you're buying. It's not where you're located as a client. It's where the property is located. Everything is dictated by the property location. It's not where you're living now or, you know, this comes up a lot. If someone's buying a second home or an investment property, they say, well, I, I live in Pennsylvania, but I happen to be buying, you know, in New York. Uh, you know, why am I paying such high closing costs? It's it's dictated by the property location. So be aware of that. Um, a, a thing that actually will show you your fees, like a document, a, an actual federal document that will show you what your fees are from a lender is something called a loan estimate. Now, the loan estimate, and this is extremely important, will show you a disclosed amount of fees that are not strictly dictated by your lender. So the lender will typically control you know, the underwriting processing appraisal and credit report, but the other professionals involved, mainly the attorney or the settlement company, will actually dictate the legal fees associated with the home purchase, along with any title fees. Now, the title fees are typically the highest costs whenever someone buys real estate. And the reason being is, is title insurance will protect you as an owner. Now, I'm not going to get into title insurance because I'm not in any place to actually speak of title insurance. It's not something that um, I provide clients. I don't work for a company that provides title insurance, so I won't explain what that is. I would recommend researching it. Or if you do want to speak with one of my colleagues about how title insurance is important and what it does for you as a buyer, I could definitely introduce you. Just get, you know, get together with me offline. Um, But the highest fees associated with buying real estate are typically your underwriting and processing from your lender, your legal fees, and your title insurance, okay? Um, So the loan estimate will actually be given to you by your lender showing what the estimated fees are. Now, this is the curveball that clients can never really wrap their head around. And and I agree. I agree with the clients, to be honest with you, because when I first started doing loans close to nine years ago, um, I was really distraught in the in the sense of how do you help someone buy a home, but you can't accurately give them fees up front, you know? And I have some clients still to this day where they're like, well, you know, the fees, the fees were, you know, let's say $10,000, you know, like all in, it, it would cost me $10,000 to close on this house. And the taxes came back at closing an extra $500 more. So now it's $10,500. Why weren't we aware of that? And the thing is, and I'll mention this in a second, certain things may change during the process. Like, for example, in the beginning of a process, when you're buying real estate, you're you're, during the process, you're going to have three separate types of inspections and valuations. 
The first thing when you're beginning the process is you need a home inspection. The home inspection, the best way to describe it is to make sure that you're buying something that's in good condition. The inspection report literally just tells you whether the property is in good shape. It, it will tell you what you need to replace in the short term, what you don't need to replace, what looks good, um, any type of deficiencies, you know, either in the foundation, the appliances, whatever. So the inspection is something that you'll incur in the beginning before you even know if you're going to buy the home. Okay. Now this is, this is where it gets tricky because the inspection fee, which could range from $600 to $1,200 for a standard home. If you go into a luxury market and a luxury home, you're, you're typically well over a thousand dollars because of the size of the home or, you know, how much detail and amenities the home has, you know, a pool, clubhouse, tennis courts, whatever the situation may be, um, lake, you know, things along those lines. Um, so the inspection will be incurred before you even start the process with your lender. The lender is going to pick up and activate your file once you receive a sales contract. Well, you're not going to get into a sales contract and sign something legally, a legal document, unless you know the property is in good condition to buy, right? So that inspection fee should be automatically written off because um, in the eyes of the buyer, simply because you don't know if the inspection is going to come back positive. It's happened to me. I've spent hundreds of dollars inspecting a home to find out that the foundation isn't good or that I'm going to have to rip walls down because there's water damage or, you know, mold or whatever. And that money is gone. It's gone. I have a report now for a house that I'm not buying. <laughs> you see what I mean? So be aware that whatever that inspection fee is, it's front loaded. You have to pay it out of pocket and that will not be on your loan disclosure. Okay. Um, the appraisal is something that will be on the loan disclosure. And I mentioned that's what's dictated. That fee is dictated by your lender. Um, the appraisal is ordered by your lender and it's required to be done by the lender that's providing you your mortgage simply because it needs to be an unbiased third party that provides the valuation. And it's an opinion of valuation. So what I mean by that is that valuation is going to tell you how much that home that you're buying is worth. And that's going to allow us to lend a specific amount of money on that home. So a lot of clients will say, well, what if the value comes in low? What if it comes in high? That's something I'm going to keep for a future episode. And it will actually be quite short. Um, and I'll kind of get into the details of what your options are for an appraisal. Um, but for now, the appraisal valuation has to be done by a third party that's chosen and subcontracted out of a pool of appraisers in the area where the property is located by the lender. I have some clients that approach me who are buying, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, refinancing real estate. And they say, well, I got an appraisal done, you know, six months ago and I paid $600. Why do I have to pay that $600 again? It was only six months ago. And I bring up a few aspects and I had a client about a week ago, actually, you know, kind of go back and forth with me on this. And I said, well, number one, you know, as a lender, we have to have an unbiased valuation. And we don't know the person who you use for the appraiser. It could be a brother. It could be a cousin. We have no idea. Um, so, you know, we can't trust what that valuation is. And she responded and said, no, it was an actual company. I'll give you invoices, et cetera. And then I continued to mention that, you know, it was six months ago and the valuation of the market may be different. Now, a lot of people, you know, forget that markets can change either daily when it comes to interest rates, weekly when it comes to specific types of homes and prices of homes, um, or monthly, depending on what the economy is doing. So a house that is valued at 300,000 six months ago now may be worth 400,000. 
It may be worth less. It depends on where the economy is. So that's another attribute that goes into why the lender has to evaluate the property um, and why they need to have an unbiased opinion. Now, just so you're aware, I can't even speak with an appraiser. Um, like if there's an issue with the appraisal or, you know, I need the appraiser to go out, you know, back out to a property because they, you know, um, the time change or whatever, I cannot, I'm not allowed to contact the appraiser. I don't know the appraiser's name. I don't know their number. I don't know the company until I get the report back. Now, the reason why the federal government actually, and HUD, the Housing and Urban Development, actually enacted this where lenders cannot speak with the appraisers is because prior to 2008, lenders could pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm doing a loan for John Smith for X amount. I need the value to come in at X. And that's actually what got us into a lot of trouble back in 2008. Um, I was never exposed to that aspect of real estate and I'm happy I wasn't, you know, I started doing this back in, uh, late 2010, early 2011. Um, so I'm happy I wasn't involved in that aspect of it, but, uh, we're not allowed to speak with the appraiser at all. Um, the third thing that I, I mentioned is your land survey. Um, this is actually done by uh, a surveyor that the client, the buyer will choose. Okay, you could shop for your surveyor and the survey will show you the meets and bound of the property you're buying. And what I mean by that is, is that it's essentially going to show you the perimeter of the property as well as like where the locations are of these structures on the on the land. Um, it will also show you any adjacent properties and any type of encroachments onto your home. Meaning if someone like a neighbor has a fence or a shed that is over your property line. At that point, you could contact that party and say, just so you're aware, you have a fence on my property line. It needs to be moved X amount of feet back onto your property. Um, typically what will happen is the, the title company is the one who really takes care of the survey and will give a recommendation of what survey company to use. At the end of the day, the client could choose their own survey company. Um, they could choose their own title company as well, just so you know, but um, most of the time the bank, um, I'm sorry, the buyer's attorney will choose the title company. Um, in New York, you could have up to three attorneys. You could have a buyer's attorney, a seller's attorney, and a bank attorney. In some of our neighboring states and really throughout the U.S., the majority of the time is you have something called a settlement agent or a settlement company. And that settlement company does the title as well as represents the client and the bank as legal representation. So in New York, the buyer's attorney will actually, uh, you know, give an option to the client and say, if you want to use your own title company, fine. If not, this is who I recommend. They'll order title. The title company will first go to the town where the property is located and see if they have a land survey on record. If they have a land survey on record, the title company will not require a new survey to be ordered. Um, I typically, as a consumer and someone who owns, you know, multiple real estate um, properties, I actually will get an updated survey. If I look at the survey from the town and it's illegible, it's not updated, um, I could go to the property and see that there is now a built fence on my on, on the property I'm buying. I will actually have a new survey done just to actually, you know, post where the land is. 
And what they'll do is, is they'll come out and they'll put stakes in the ground, showing you where the perimeter of the property is. This actually just happened at my primary residence. My neighbor did that because he put in kind of like a horse fence, showed where the property line is. And I was actually extremely appreciative because now I know what I need a landscape, <laughs> to be honest, and anything on his property I'm not worried about. Um, so the survey is really important. And if you don't have it, it could be detrimental in the sense of you don't know what you're insuring when it comes to your homeowner's insurance, right? Because if, if someone, let's say, has a shed on your property and the shed burns down and the insurance company, you know, uh, has a problem with that and there's, you know, there could be legal issues because of it. So you have to be aware of what the meets and bounds are. Um, but that being said, the survey and the inspection are two items that are typically not located on your lender's loan estimate because the lender is going to give you a breakdown of the fees that they anticipate your you know the the cost of underwriting your loan the appraisal the potential cost for your uh, title insurance even though we don't know what it is we give you an idea we have an algorithm based on every zip code throughout the united states to give us an idea of what those fees are we actually pay third-party companies to give us those estimated fees so you'll actually get something showing what your total uh costs are but there are certain things that don't come into play and the lender just can't anticipate those fees um because we don't know every property is different in that sense you know we don't know if you're going to um, you know, need an inspection and then maybe need a water test or, you know, need a radon test. That's stuff that the lender doesn't fully get involved in. Um, the one other, you know, one other fee that a lot of clients don't pay attention to, but it always comes up is if you're buying a cooperative or a condominium, uh, you know, those either, either one of those property types, each co-op or condo will typically have different fees from the management company. And I'm not talking about the monthly maintenance from the management company. I'm talking about some condos and co-ops have move-in fees. They have questionnaire fees to actually see if, you know, if, if you're in good financial shape to live in the property. They have board interviews. You know, co-ops will always have a board interview that is conducted by members of the board who are also residents of the co-op to see if you're able to actually live in their co-op, if they want you to live there. Now, up until a few months ago, now it's spring 2019, up until a few months ago, um, if someone was applying for a co-op, you could get denied and they don't have to tell you. Recently, a law was passed where the co-op board will actually have to give you something in writing stating why you're denied which I never understood back, you know, uh, like I said, for years, they didn't have to tell you. And how can you really track if they're discriminating someone in buying <laughs> within that co-op complex? And the issue is, is that the co-op uh, interview, you know, the board interview is typically done towards the end of the process. So I've had clients go through a month, you know, a month of uh, applying for a loan, getting the appraisal, getting the inspection, doing all this fun stuff. And then all of a sudden at the 11th hour, they're clear to close. They go to the board interview and they get denied and they did all this work for no reason. And they would not even know why they're denied. Now that's changed and they do have to give you some specific reason as to why. Um, so those are the overall costs and the, the, uh, the closing fees that a lot of lenders use that term. Um, I, I also wanted to mention escrow. As I brought up in, in the beginning, escrow and closing fees are your total cash to close. So the escrow will deal with your taxes and insurance on a specific property. The real estate taxes, if you speak with any attorney, they typically tell you it's a year that you'll need of taxes at closing. So if you're buying a house with $12,000 a year in taxes, 
your attorney representing you um, will tell you typically that you need that 12000 at closing. Um, it, it's true, but it's also not true. I think they're really protecting themselves, which I agree with, and they're overestimating, I, which I love to do as well. I'm very conservative with my numbers to make sure that the client has enough and they know what their, their responsibility is when buying real estate. Um, but when it comes to the actual uh, real estate taxes that are due, it really depends on the frequency of the tax bills. So for example, if you only have once per year that you're paying taxes on a property and the taxes are $12,000, then yeah, you're most likely going to have to pay eleven dollars or $12,000 at closing because the you know there has to be enough money to pay when that tax bill comes due. If you have taxes that are due on a quarterly basis, maybe you don't need the full year of taxes. Maybe you only need three or four months worth, you see? So it, that's something that you have to take into consideration when buying real estate Taxes and insurance are typically the most overlooked items when it comes to a client's assets to buy real estate. What I mean by that is, is that most clients will come to me and say, I'm buying a $300,000 house. I want to put 10% down, which is $30,000, and I have $30,000 in the bank. Okay. The thing is, is that they have not taken into consideration the additional fees that come with it. They they don't realize that they need to pay that inspection up front. You know, stuff like that is very important to know prior to getting into that transaction or getting involved at all. Because if you don't have that disposable money, you know, the disposable income to actually spend on that inspection and potentially not even buy the home, then you really should save more prior to even looking. Okay. Um, the escrow itself... Uh, as I mentioned, typically will range what I see, depending on when the tax bill, it will typically be about six to eight months of taxes that are due at closing, just to kind of get the escrow account up and running, pay for any potential bills that, you know, are in the next six months. The, the title company will require that you actually pay any tax bills that are due within 60 days from the day of closing. So for example, if you close you know, March 29th, and you have a tax bill due April 1st, you're going to have to pay that April 1st tax bill on March 29th. There's no delay there. They'll collect it at closing to make sure that bill is paid by the title company. So be aware of that. There's going to be some type of um, portion of funds that will go, that will be allocated towards your taxes and insurance. Typically lenders will require that you pay the first year of your homeowner's insurance in full. And then when you pay your mortgage payment each month, they're collecting that annual premium divided by 12 into your escrow account. And when your year two homeowner's insurance bill comes due, they have enough money in the escrow account to pay for it. That's another thing that comes under great scrutiny whenever I do a loan for someone. They say, well, I paid my first year of homeowner's insurance. Why do I got to pay per month? You know. And the thing is, is because it's similar to renting. Uh, an apartment or a house, you know, when you when you rent something from a landlord, they expect the payment on the first of the month, and then you live there for the rest of the month. It's the same thing with homeowners insurance. They're going to insure you for that first year. You're living there the first year. The lender is collecting a monthly amount to pay for year two. Okay, um, so just be aware of that. Escrow is is you know quite confusing, but it's actually very simple if if you speak with a lender that breaks it down into layman's terms. Okay. And then lastly, when it comes to costs, most people overlook this as well. Moving costs. Are you paying to move? Are you moving yourself? Did you allocate enough money for a moving truck for help? Um, you know, and then there's other things, furniture, stuff like that. So, 
you you want to have a kind of like a top-down look and, and and a big picture look at how much money you have and how much money you're going to spend. You know, my wife always jokes around with me because whenever we're looking at investment properties, I always add on like 10 or 20,000 to whatever I believe the total cost will be to either repair the property or buy the home or whatever. And she's always like, oh, you're always overestimate. You're always so conservative. The reason being is, is I don't want to be caught flat-footed. I don't want to go into a situation where I haven't allocated, uh, and I keep using that word, I haven't budgeted enough money to buy the property and feel comfortable after being an owner. Um, be aware of that. So that's basically it. I mean, I know it's a lot of information. This this went to almost a 25-minute episode. I don't mean to do that. Um, you know, I try and keep these short and sweet. Closing costs are very, very important to understand. They're constantly overlooked. Clients do not put enough money aside to have your down payment, closing costs, taxes, any other fees, moving costs, stuff like that. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure that I get very in-depth on this topic. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I love to hear feedback. Share the podcast. Follow me on uh, you know my social media. As I always mention at the end of every episode, I'll help you buy your first, next, and last home. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you on the next one.